0: Well, um, we want to get back into our third and final installment here when it comes to the Trojan horse of critical race theory. And uh, if you would like a handout, uh, gentlemen are here and we have plenty of handouts, I think, this week where everybody can get one if you want one. So uh, you can follow along then with this handout. In the first part of our series, one of the things that we focused on was um, the issue of hostility. Uh, why is critical race theory so hostile to what's going on, especially with us and especially with us as Christians? The second part, we tried to get at the heart of things. Um, In other words, what's really going on? And we focus on two major areas, their concept of what justice was, especially their concept of social justice, and the other element of what is equity, what is involved in equity and how that's been redefined. In this final part of our series, We want to focus in on the home. So we've gone from hostility to the heart of the issue and now to the home. This third part um, can, um, there's just a lot I want to say here. And what I'm going to share with you today is only a very condensed part of um, everything I could say about it, but I'm going to try to keep it relatively um, within our time frame here, I want to begin with a statement that's made by our own pastor, Pastor John MacArthur, on September the tenth, two thousand and twenty, and concerning the how destructive uh, CRT theory is. Um, he talks about the fact at that particular time we all acknowledge that racism exists and that it is a manifestation of the sin of partiality which the Bible directly condemns, James chapter 2, verse 9. The racism of CRT is very different. In case you are not familiar with CRT, it is the a vicious, pernicious, and virulent brand of identity politics that results when neo-Marxist social philosophy is blended with postmodern theory. The CRT credo includes the following poisonous doctrines. Racism is unconquerable and ubiquitous. Uh, it is the single evil that underlines virtually everything wrong with our culture. It is the stain we will never that will never be removed. Systemic racism and unconscious bias are built into the current structure of Western society, so this cannot be remedied apart from the wholesale dismantling and restructuring of political mechanisms, economic policies, moral standards, and other social norms. And by the way, I would include in this, including the traditional home, marriage, family, and parenting. White people are members of the world's most privileged ethnic group White privilege is not only one of the main proofs of systemic racism, it is also subtle but sinister injustice to other people groups. The term racism describes a uniquely white pathology. Uh, members of less privileged ethnic groups are victims, not perpetrators of social injustice, and it is therefore legitimate for them to retaliate with retributive violence Or expressions of ethnic contempt. This is not racism, but an appropriate response to the oppression they suffer. White supremacy so permeates our institutions, policies, practices, and ways of knowing that it is nearly impossible to think outside of it. It is full-on racial terrorism. All white people are racist, whether they want to be or not. Whiteness is therefore an evil that must be confessed and repudiated, but without any guarantee of forgiveness. Members of privileged ethnic groups who deny being racist are guilty of perpetrating racism. That is by no means an exhaustive list of CRT dogmas, Pastor MacArthur says, but those are enough to explain why, after nearly a decade of relentless indoctrination in this system, the result has been an explosion of ethnic animosity, civil unrest. This is a worldview that deliberately foments and feeds on resentment, strife, hatred, and division. Now, end of quote. Now, what I want to do at this particular point is I want to focus in especially on the effects that it has had upon the home. How has it affected the home? And there's three primary elements of this that we want to deal de- de- zero in on, how it has sabotaged the family, how it has sabotaged marriage, and how it has sabotaged parenting. All three of those are really critical here. So let's take a look at the first one, and that is how critical race theory or critical race theorists, and by the way, uh, Daryl Harrison has a great comment about this. He says, they refer to themselves as crits. So I'm going to refer to them as crits, too, just C-R-T-S, crits, because that's the way they like to refer to themselves, all right, the CRT theorists. What are they doing in relationship to the family? Well, they are attempting to do everything they can to redefine the family, everything they can to redefine the family. Let me highlight four very significant things here. One is that since the traditional nuclear family is an oppressive social construct used to enslave women and children, it must be erased from society. That is one of their goals. That's what they're seeking to do. I'm going to give you illustrations of that in a moment. This is something deeply embedded within the Western culture, they say, the traditional nuclear family, and they want to get rid of it. Crits, neo-Marxists, believe the traditional family must be stripped from society in order to achieve a full communistic utopia. The family must bow to the state, and the state must define the family. When you carefully read and the carefully worded definition of the family, according to the United Nations and the United States, the Health Resources and Service Administration, they, broadly, they broaden the definition so wide about the family that any two hobos living in a boxcar could be called a family. All right? That, that's so broad. I went in and read these in detail, and it's just just extremely broad, and that's very, very intentional. All right, It's not the way, when they talk about the family, they're not talking about the family the way we would talk about the family. It's not it at all, or especially the way in which the Bible would talk about the family. They say that they don't want to be trapped into one definition of the family, especially the traditional nuclear heteronormative family. Heteronormative just has to do with the fact that um, a heterosexual relationship, binary relationship between a male and a female is normal, uh, normative for the culture. And <clears throat> so they say they reject that heteronormative practice. Secondly, the new definition of the family must be inclusive to all types of people and all types of beliefs preferring the oppressed. One author explained it this way. Critical race theory is a theoretical framework wherein one critically examines social structures in a post-emancipation society. That's an interesting statement. Now, now when she says, when this author says post-emancipation society, she means a society that is no longer living by traditional ideas of family structure. In fact, she goes on to say that critical race theory reasons that the social system was arranged in such a way so that the dominant can dominate. The narrative patterns, uh, a Western patriarchal ideology that dominates the social structures, social groups are involved. In other words, the present construct of the family, she says, is hopelessly patriarchal and is purposely constructed so that the dominant can dominate. Uh, Genuine change must go way beyond just simply a view of equality Instead, equity, which is different than equality, we talked about that in our last message, equity is different than equality. Equity demands that the oppressed, which in this case is usually women, be elevated over others in the family with control and power. When it comes to those who disagree with the crits and their view, one columnist critiques such a notion by saying, the feminist woke brigade... Only look out for women who share their political creed and do not represent or protect the rights of women who espouse right-wing values like supporting the nuclear family. So they're only, they, they supposedly come at you saying that they're looking out for the needs of women, but it's only a very sp- a specific class of women that they're looking to support. For example, most of the women here, they would never so- support at all In fact, they would reject. The third area here has to do with uh, one problem with white families, including all ethnics um, having a white family structure, is that uh, generational family histories have washed out or silenced past racial atrocities that need to be atoned for. Now, as one crit author says, in the case of white families attending to family stories means listening for silences, as race and racism may be washed out of the stories the same way that they are in dominant ideology. And she goes on to say, it is an ideology that renders white power and white people participation in an oppressive system as invisible to them, and an identity when people of European descent accept these relationships, this ideology, and ways of life lived within this system of relations as normal. Now, what she's really saying is that white families and all those who think, she would say, as white families, live in a sanitized bubble. Their view of their white, pristine, patriarchal family history is a fake because of all the grief and the oppression that their ancestors brought upon other people. So... Most of you are a bunch of fakes, all right, because of all the oppression that you've brought upon so many other people. Um, Reparations would mean to repent of your family's horrid history and surrender your privileged status, including possessions, to the ancestors of races your family used in order to gain their power and control. The fourth thing is this. The redefinition of the family has done more damage to children of all colors than can possibly be imagined. This is really critical to understand here. Vodi Bachman in his book Fault Lines, some of you probably have read that particular book, it's an excellent book, I recommend that you get it and read it, attacks all of this as a black pastor. And he makes this observation There are many black churches that are rife with Marxist liberation theology, crit, intersectionality, and the social gospel. And then he quotes from the Morehouse Conference on African American Fathers that was back in 1998. And quoting from them, he says, the most urgent problems facing the African American community in the entire nation is the reality that 70% of African-American children are born to unmarried mothers, and that at least 80% of all African-American children can now expect to spend at least a significant part of their childhood years living apart from their fathers. The rise of CSJ, which is the Center for Social Justice, and CRT, CRT has led to a sea change. Today, it is neither popular nor in any cases acceptable to address the need for moral change in black community. And then Vodi Bachman goes on and says, nor is this just a black thing. The science tells us the number one predictor of economic mobility for poor children in America is the share of two parent families in their neighborhood. And that's quoted from the University of Virginia Sociology Prefecture, Professor W. Bradford Wilcox, who is a leading researcher on the importance of marriage in the family. So Vodi Bachman believes it is not the lack of CRT values in our culture that is causing so much hardship. It's the lack of fathers, good marriages, and strong families. Did you hear me? A lack of fathers, good marriages, and strong families. In an article that just recently came out called The Sexualization of Children Pushed by Teachers' Unions Undermines the Institution of the Family. Union Insider says this, Curricula that sexualizes children have been pushed by teachers' unions into American schools with the goal of undermining family structure, said Rebecca Fredericks, founder of For Kids and Country and a Teacher. When Frederick was about halfway through her 28-year career as a teacher, she became a teacher's union representative in her school district, which gave her an insight into how teachers' unions operate. And that's, she says, when my eyes were open, they were really open that these unions were not there to defend teachers in any way, shape, or form. Unions fund agenda to divide America which they call progressive, but what Frederick's calls regressive. They sexualize children so that they can undermine the family structure, Frederick said. They sexualize children so that they can undermine family structure. Another way to determine the institution of the family is the promotion of the gender identity by teachers' unions. The ideology is based upon the idea that there is an unlimited number of genders. That's the assumption. There is an unlimited number of genders. And it is taught to children as early as preschool, Fredericks explained. Teachers are told by union activists to teach students that their gender may be different from their biological one. That kids have to figure out what their gender is And the gender can change every day, thus undermining the children's identity and making them confused, he said. Moreover, teachers' unions and their special interest groups instruct teachers not to tell parents if the child wants to go by a different gender at school and encourage those students not to tell their parents undermining parental authority. Let me pause for a moment here with this by saying, I have had to deal repeatedly with this across the country with pastors calling, saying that they have people in their congregation where a young boy or young girl in a school has declared themselves to be the opposite gender. And this has gone on for weeks, if not months, a long, long time. Parents had no idea about it. And all of a sudden it came to the surface. And these pastors are calling us asking, what do we do? How do we deal with this? Let me go on with this article. She says, We're in a war now for our children because of teachers' unions and other special interest groups that think that children belong to the state. Children belong to the state. In America, we know that children belong to the parents. God gave them to the parents, and the parents are supposed to raise them and educate them, she added. Teachers' unions and special interest groups support legislative initiatives that promote the sexual sexuality education of children. Um, Friedrichs uh, uh, said, "California enacted California enacted the Healthy Youth Act in 2016. That requires schools to provide comprehensive sex sexual health education. The leg- leg- legislation was sponsored by the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the California Teachers Association was among the bill supporters." Friedrich said that she received all six curricula uh, approved by the State Department of Education to implement in California, and her opinion was that they're all equally pornographic. Any parent who actually would see these curricula would be screaming and fighting against it and wouldn't want their child to be a part of it. If a teacher refuses to teach this sexuality education, the new law stipulates that the unqualified teachers need to be replaced by experts such as Planned Parenthood. Hmm. This is going on. Public school system, and has been going on for some time. So, serious issues. Well, I want you to know from the very beginning, and this may shock you, And that is, God defines the family, not man. God defines the family, not man. Even though Crit believes that they are justified in redefining the family because the contemporary family is rooted in Western white privilege of social thought, the truth is that the roots of what is the family go all the way back to creation. There's four things here I want you to see. Number one, a biblical family will not perpetuate white privilege or inequities because its members are taught the gospel of saving grace. What do I mean by that? You need to think about this statement really carefully. When members of the family are taught good biblical doctrine, everyone understands that they each, man, woman, and child, deserve God's judgment of hell. They are deserving of the worst punishment. Crit thinking is exactly the opposite. They want people to believe they deserve much better. Hmm. That is why they become so demanding as to what they believe are their rights. This, of course, is counter gospel. Undeserving men and women don't demand their rights because they know that their only right is to burn in hell. Except for the undeserving grace of salvation and the fact that Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the repentant, they would have no hope, none. Those who know that they are deserving of nothing will never promote themselves or white privilege or any form of inequity because that is inconceivable. Secondly, the Creator God designed the family after His image with the capacity to be able to procreate, enabling the family to reproduce and thrive. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. God created man in His own image, in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. A creative God has given mankind the ability to create, create life, but that is only possible with complementary heterosexual involvement. God designed the family, and any other definition that would include lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, is destructive to the God-created family. It is only by living in harmony with God and His creation will man or woman ever find genuine fulfillment and actually joy in the family. Thirdly, the family is God's antidote to loneliness, and is a place where the deepest relationships ultimately are experienced. Genesis 2.18, then God said, it is not good that man be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Helper suitable, that means a companion for Adam. You know, you've heard me say this before. The Hebrew words for helper suitable is the words Azer Conigno. I've called my wife along for a long time, my little Azer Conigno, and people <laughs> thought I was cursing at her, but it's a term of endearment. She is my Azer Conigno, all right? She's a suitable helper, a fitting compliment is the idea. Or listen to this: Psalm 68 and verse 6. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out The prisoners into prosperity, only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Or Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 17 talks about the woman that leaves the companion of her youth, the companion of her youth, and forgets the covenant of her God. Or in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14, it talks to a man. Uh, yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and the wife by covenant. So in both of those cases, in one case he's talking to the woman, in the other case he's talking to the man, both are to see their spouses as companions. Fourth. I want you to see that the family is a place where members learn to respect and honor others. Respect and honor others. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, honor your father and mother, honor your father and your mother as the Lord God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged, that it may go well with you on the land in which the Lord your God gives you. You're supposed to honor them. And by the way, that verse is repeated over and over again throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Mark chapter 7 and verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Wow. Capital punishment. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2 talks about honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says to husbands, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of God. Life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Ephesians five thirty three. Nevertheless, each one among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects, or the word there is phobos, which can be translated also reverences, her husband. She's supposed to reverence her husband. That doesn't happen naturally. That's something that has to be very intentional on her part. Or Colossians 3:21: "Fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart." Ephesians six and verse four says the same thing. So a family that follows the original design that God intended, you understand? will learn to treat one another with honor, with kindness and mercy and grace and love and dignity, and that's the foundation of the way in which they treat others in public as well. Because they recognize that others bear the image of God the same way that they do. So they're sabotaging the family. That's what they're trying to do. There's a second thing. They're also sabotaging marriage. They're sabotaging woke, sabotages good wokeness, sabotages good marriage. It puts enmity between men and women, and it will destroy any genuine sweetness that God intended in a marital relationship. It will destroy it. By redefining it, first of all, contemporary sociologists and psychologists believe that man invented the idea of marriage. And critics believe that it was invented in order to use and oppress women for man's benefit. That is being taught everywhere. Critics try to advance the idea that every traditional marriage is guilty of encouraging white supremacy and dominance of men over women. They say, through this intersectionality of the oppressed and the oppressor, they say that this has been a part of the Western culture for centuries, And the oppression has been endless. They are not looking for equality between the sexes. That's not what they're looking for. They hate that idea. They don't want to see equality among the sexes. They are looking for reparations for historical dominations and slavery treatment of women so that matriarchy rules the home. Here's the goal. Matriarchy rules the home. For them, that would be equity. They do not want mere equality. If you grew up, 60s, 70s, 80s, you kept hearing equality, 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 equality. Crits, not interested in equality. They're interested in dominance. That's what they're interested in. Number two, if humans invented marriage, then humans can redefine marriage any way that they wish, so that women will no longer have a servile role. Uh, Marriage for them is a social construct, they say. Uh, There's no real fixed definition. So if humanity invented marriage, then humanity can redefine marriage to whatever they wish. We have to rid ourselves of the oppressive notion that heteronormative marriage is a permanent fixture and begin to think in new emancipated ways. Wokeness places marriages into a continual struggle where sinful hearts go to war against one another. When marriage fails, the family fails, then children fail, society fails. Why? Because marriage, the way God designed it, from the very beginning, is the bedrock of society. It is the first institution that God designed. Third, however, God created marriage, and that means that when marriage has problems, he has authoritative answers to solve those problems. Human beings did not create marriage. It was not an invention In prehistoric times, to provide an even distribution of labor in order to promote the control and power of males, God created marriage. And when you understand that vital principle, suddenly hope returns because he has real answers when marriage gets into trouble. Real answers. So the way you conceive of the origins of marriage will directly affect the way you function in your marriage. Marriage, the way God designed it, is not the problem. It is the people who are in marriages that are the problem. That's the problem. Fourth, marriage, by God's design, was for the binary sexes to complement each other and to enjoy a loving companionship in a monogamous heterosexual relationship. That's the way marriage was defined. Non-binary constructs of marriage are incredibly unloving and destructive. Why? Because fundamentally it is against nature, the way God defined nature. It fights God's design. Sameness enhances competition and control. Even though sin brought conflict between the sexes, the binary sexual relationship is still God's design, a male was designed to to lovingly and self sacrificially lead the family by serving them. Ephesians five twenty five through thirty two. A female was lovingly was to lovingly and self self-sacrifici- sacrificially follow the leadership of her husband, and to invest in their children. Ephesians five twenty two through twenty 1 Timothy two verses thirteen through fifteen. So. Let me show you how this works out in detail here in terms of sabotaging marriage. Because crits see the heteronormative marriage as being toxic. They see it as being toxic. Critical race theory advances the intersectionality concept that men, assuming leadership roles in marriage, will oppress women. That's just a fundamental assumption that's going to be there. Lesbian or single and unattached relationships are preferable to avoid being repressed and oppressed by the racist white supremacies of men in marriage. Men of all ethnic backgrounds are racist and use women as their slaves to achieve anything that they want in this world, according to them. The cultist chant is masculinity is toxic. Have you heard that? Masculinity is toxic, meaning that men within a traditional marriage will abuse their wives emotionally and or physically. One definition of this reads, toxic masculinity is thus defined by adherence to traditional male gender roles that consequently stigmatize and limit the emotions boys and men may comfortably express while elevating other emotions such as anger. It's marked by economic, political, and social expectations that men seek and achieve dominance. So, for them, males are motivated by economic, political, and social expectations that end up oppressing females. Traditional biblical role of a man, assuming leadership of his home, emotionally limits the boys in his family and stigmatizes them to express themselves only through violence and anger towards girls. Hmm. This has given rise to numerous Christian books on spousal abuse of women based upon a Duluth model of abuse. The Duluth model was developed by a small group of activists in the battered women's movement. It's explained this way. The feminist theory underlying the Duluth model is that men use violence within relationships to exercise power and control. This is illustrated by the power and control wheel. I'll show you that in a moment. A graphic typically displayed as a poster and training materials. According to the Duluth model, women and children are vulnerable to violence because of their unequal social, economic, and political status in society. So treatment of abusive men is focused on re-education as uh, we do not see men's violence against women as stemming from individual pathology, but rather, listen to this, from a socially reinforced sense of entitlement. It's a lot in those words. A socially reinforced sense of entitlement. And this is where you will see the social construction of reality theory now coming to full bloom. And incidentally, churches and Bible teaching uh, Bible teaching, they would say, indoctrinate men in a particular way of thought that encourages this violence towards women. So, to give you an idea about this, this is, in a sense, the what is referred to as the power and control wheel. Um, and you can see there's eight different categories here. If you go around the wheel, I'm not going to read all of these, but you can see them where you've got Uh, using coercion and threats, using intimidation, using emotional abuse, using isolation, minimizing, denying, and blaming, using children, using male privilege, and using economic abuse. There's the idea. Now, what can we learn from this, um, in a sense, feminist model of intersectionality? Well, there are many men in the world, no doubt about this, who are abusive to their wives and children, that this model actually accurately describes. But we also know that not all men treat women this way, even though they may be unbelievers. We learn also that the Bible predicts this would happen because of the sinful curse laid upon mankind at the fall. It says in Genesis 3.16 to the woman, he said, I would greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be to, for your husband and he will rule over you. The best understanding I know of that phrase is your desire will be to control and manipulate your husband, and his desire will be to manipulate and control you. So now, under the curse, marriage becomes a game of king of the hill, all right? You understand that? Under the curse, marriage becomes game king of the hill, who's going to be, you know, uh, in control and power. Um, But even though that's true in Genesis 3, 3.16, 316 that does not mean that masculinity is toxic because God created masculinity. <gasps> <laughs> if it's toxic and evil then God created evil. And because he created it it was good. First Timothy 4:4 For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Everything Third thing we learned, this model knows nothing of the life-changing grace of the gospel in the heart of man or of a woman. As Titus 2, verses 11 through 15, 13 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus." The fourth thing we can learn is that the Duluth model rejects the idea of Christ-like leadership. There's no place for the Lord's definition of leadership in its construct because it judges every male by a monolithic standard. How does Jesus define leadership? Take your Bible just for a moment. Go over to Mark chapter 10. How does God, how does Jesus define leadership? What does he say? Mark chapter 10, verse 42 Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. That's the way the world functions, in other words. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, doulos, or uh, diakonos is the word there, which means like deacon, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave of all. There the word is doulos, slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the way in which Jesus Christ defines leadership. There's no room for that in the Duluth model. So, the third area has to do with sabotaging parents. We've given a hint at that a little bit. And what, the, what happens here is they want to redefine childhood. Woke CR crits and intersectionality proponents want to own the young generation. They want to own it. In order to do so, they must demonize parents, particularly Christian parents. If you're a Christian parent, you will need to know how to respond to their hateful demonization. To them, you are at the core of the white blindness and white privilege. You are harming children with your inflexible views of family, marriage, and sexuality. First of all, they say that teaching children cisgender and heteronormative principles does violence to the notion that personal identity and gender is a social, not a biological construct. Cisgender is a term used to describe the idea that personal and sexual identity corresponds with a child's birth sex. They know that that is what most parents teach their children. For them, sexual identity in children is learned, however, not a fixed biological fact. Every child needs to be taught to be gender fluid or transgender. Black Lives Matter openly says this. Listen to what they say, quoting directly from their material. We are committed to doing the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk. We are committed to embracing and making space for trans brothers and sisters to participate and lead. Hmm. This is the reason why you're seeing a proliferation of drag queens in elementary education. You see that in the public? It comes out in that way. Um If they can control the education of your children while they are young, they can grow the number of victimized transgenders in the population. So this is a very deliberate and aggressive strategy in order to control the youth. Again, as committed biblical Christians, this is a wicked abomination that is being sold to us on the basis of defending social justice. Incidentally, simply adopting children of a different skin color or interracial marriage will not classify you as being woke or free from woke criticism. That's not going to classify you from being free of it. You can do these things and still be considered a racist and a white supremacist. Secondly, for crits, adults oppress children, especially Christian parents who homeschool their children. (laughs) All right, control of education is key for them. For the past 40 years, they have been slowly taking over local school boards, even though they see some pushback. We saw that a little bit in San Francisco uh, from parents. But the thorn in their side is Christian schools and homeschoolers. That is the thorn in their side. They cannot control the narrative in those those constructs unless they carpet bomb education through state legislation legislation. And this is happening in California. <clears throat> the state is desperately trying to control Christian schools and homeschools through the State Board of Education. Crits dominate these um, these state boards, and this is growing throughout the U.S. Their agenda is to push state mandatory curriculum that is loaded with CRT and LGBTQIAFLCIO to use <laughs> Phil Johnson's terminology, One of the most disturbing aspects of this agenda is the evidential decriminalizing of pedophilia. This is where this is going, decriminalizing pedophilia, adults having sex with children. If you think that Jeffrey Epstein was horrible, and he was, much worse is coming in our world if governments legalize having sex with children. Their reasoning is very simple, based upon LGBTQIA behavior. They say is innate and unchangeable, then pedophilic people cannot help themselves, it's just the way that they are when the state controls a child, then you can see then at that point anything is permissible. Anything is permissible. Third, fathers and mothers are not racist for their God-given right to educate their children in a biblical tradition of gender roles and sexuality. As much, you understand, as the woke... And many, many of them claim to be Christians even, like to believe true scriptural education in the family does not advocate social injustice or inequity. They love to paint Christians with this broad brush. Um, uh, Have there been people who claim to be Christians who have done this? Absolutely. But genuine biblical instruction has never included this. But they will argue, you just do it unwittingly because that's the way in which you are. Well, that argument can easily go in two directions. We can easily argue that those who push crit theory blindly promote true hate because that's the way they are. Biblically informed Christians are wide awake, not woke. We're wide awake, not woke. Parental teaching on biblical... Roles in marriage and the family are teaching the highest regard and respect for other people because they understand that they are recipients of the undeserving love of Christ. Fourth, crit is a disenchanted worldview. Weltanschung would be the Greek term that reduces life and childhood to a dreary uniformity and monotony. What do I mean by that? I mean that the worldview attempts to dissolve all God-designed distinctions— One author said it like this, there is no creator, no divine design, no male or female, no script for sexuality, no God-designed family with a father, mother, and children, no need to protect and care for children at all, no savior, no lord or theistic end to the cosmos, no judge of evil. This dreary monotony will lead to greater confusion, depression, and even possible skyrocketing suicide among youth. According to the crit philosophy, if your children are born into white privilege, they will never be able to outrun their guilt. They will be forever condemned. There is no true restoration, redemption, restitution, or reparations that will free them from their complicity. All they can do is acknowledge it and try hard to subdue it. Once white supremacy, once a white supremacist, always a white supremacist. Now, here's a key thing, because the question comes up, is generational guilt biblical? Not only do crits want to redefine children, but they also desire to be guilt mongers. Does this uh, present generation still carry the culpability and the guilt from the atrocities that previous generations may or may not have committed? That is a significant theological question. Well, some believe that the Bible supports the concept that later generations bear the guilt from the sins of previous generations. Chris have used that teaching in many churches to promote the idea of continuing guilt for the sins of older generations which are still upon the children today. The old view of this misunderstanding of Scripture is used to be called generational curses. You ever heard of that? Generational curses. Uh, If your grandfathers, grandmothers committed certain sins, especially were slave owners, then your generation and your children still bear the guilt of those sins and are also liable to continue to pay for those sins indefinitely into the future. Such guilt has no hope of repayment, just acknowledgement. For example, in Exodus 34, 6 and 7 where God passes in front of Moses and says, the Lord passed in front of him and said the lord the lord god compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity transgression and sin yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation to say well isn't that generational curse or Deuteronomy 5 where later on he says Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children in the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. It sounds like these verses support generational culpability. Well, closer analysis reveals that there is an important theological difference between the effects of sin and judicial guilt of sin. These verses are not saying that later generations are judicially guilty for ancestral sins, But they are saying that the effects of sin from one generation can be passed to another generation. An older generation's sin can have an impact on later generations. To this fact, there's no doubt. In fact, each succeeding generation can learn the sins of their fathers and reproduce them in their generation. Then God says he will hold each generation responsible for their choices. That's key. In other words, later generations cannot say that previous generations started it, so we're not responsible. Uh, we followed their example, and we are not responsible, they would say. No, God says he will hold each generation responsible. Woke leaders claim that white people are complicit for the evils of their fathers and should repent of their sins. For example, in writing an article for the, of all places, the Gospel Coalition, One black author says, My white neighbors and Christian brethren can start by saying, at least saying, that their parents and grandparents in this country are complicit in murdering a man who only preached love and justice. I'm saying the entire society killed Dr. King. Hmm. That's a Christian organization statement. The harsh reality is that white men driven by racial hate killed Dr. King but that does not mean that the entire society of white people are guilty and must repent. Is that what Christ- Scripture teaches? Well, God does not hold later generations judicially guilty for the sins of other generations. Such ideas are repulsive to them. And in fact, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 18, and I was going to take a little bit more time, but I'm almost out of time here, to explain this, you will find out when carefully study that God holds each generation, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 30, responsible for the choices that they make. They cannot blame it on previous generations. They just cannot do that. It's an impossibility. Last of all, the state owns your children, or do they? Or do they? The state, then, should define what is best for your children since critical pedagogy Claims that lower academic achievement test scores among black or Hispanic students, higher dropout rates, school discipline, and non-representative racial composition in admissions to private and public schools provides evidence of persistent systemic white supremacy. Well, this crits are enslaved to the idea of victimhood. Um, They know the more they push this on the public the more the public will want the government to step in and take control of all their children. State government is their God. Parents must surrender their children to the state so that the state can save them from social injustice because the state always knows best. They desperately want to indoctrinate your children with this victim mentality under the guise of education. Listen to what Ezekiel 16 and verse 21 says. Ezekiel 16 verse 21. You slaughtered my children, God says, and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Our children actually really don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord, and they certainly don't belong to the state. My children, the Lord claims them to be. So these systemic problems do not come from white privilege or simple racial inequalities because there are too many examples of minority raising, minorities rising above them they stem from a breakdown of god designed family in minority homes as well as in white homes listen to this vody bachman says this i grew up in a poor i grew up poor without a father and surrounded by drugs and gangs and violence and dysfunction in one of the toughest urban environments imaginable yet through all of that I didn't just survive, I thrived. Not because of government programs or white people doing the work of anti-racism. I thrived in large part because, (coughs) by God's grace, my mother protected me, sacrificed for me, advocated for me, disciplined me. Black people often take offense when they hear me speak about the importance of family and personal responsibility. Advocates of this victim mentality think the only thing that can cause a man like me to focus on the centrality of the family and personal responsibility is internalized racism, a lack of sensibility or sensitivity, catering to white folks, being out of touch with blackness and or black experience or all the above. Well, those people, he says, don't know me. And I would add, those people don't know his God. God. Now I'm going to pass out. (laughs) (laughs) Let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the bright light of God's truth in the world around us in which we live. It is a dark world. It is a dark world that's trying to destroy um, Christianity. It's trying to destroy family. It's trying to destroy marriage. It's trying to destroy our children We live in a hostile world, but the Bible's already told us that that's true. From the very beginning, we pray that you'll help us to be even more devoted to you and to one another out of love for Christ. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.